Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. The CanMed 23 schedule is now live on canmedevents.com. Check out all the activities, meals, sessions, workshops, and more that will be taking place at the Marriott Marco Island Beach Resort May 15th through 17th. Believe me when I tell you, you do not want to miss this event. Not only will you get to learn from our oral presenters who have been curated by our esteemed advisory board, but we also have four intensive professional development workshops planned covering medical applications of cannabis, strategies for fighting plant pathogens, laboratory compliance challenges, and investment in cannabinoid innovation. We also have a number of networking events planned, including beach dinners and open bar cocktail hours. If you have received your invitation to CanMed 23, register today to reserve your spot. And if you have not yet received an invitation, go to canmedevents.com now to request one. Our guest today is Akeem Gardner. Akeem is the founder and CEO of Canerda. In 2018, Akeem acquired an industrial hemp license from Health Canada and began to farm hemp as he embarked on his entrepreneurial venture. This allowed him to meet with the University of Guelph professors in the summer of 2019 to begin the Canflavin project. At CanMed 23, Akeem will present targeting glioblastoma invasion and survival with cannabis-derived flavonoids. During our conversation, Akeem provides a preview of that presentation as well as insights on the following topics. What are flavonoids and how are they different from cannabinoids and terpenes? The flavonoids that are unique to cannabis, also known as canflavins. Why canflavins are not as well studied as other cannabis compounds. Canerda's method for isolating, capturing, and concentrating these molecules, and potential medical applications for canflavins and how they may work in combination with cannabinoids. Before we get to my conversation with Akeem, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Canerda. Canerda is a preclinical biotechnology company pioneering the discovery and production of novel, polyphenol-rich ingredients to improve chronic disease prevention and recovery. Their research and technology unlocks the significant anti-inflammatory, antiviral, anti-cancer, and neuroprotective potential of plant polyphenols. Canerda aspires to improve health outcomes, promote longevity, and pull humans and animals out of the cycle of chronic disease. To learn more, visit Canerda. Com. That's C-A-N-U-R-T-A dot com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Akeem Gardner. Good afternoon, Akeem. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. All right. And I'm excited to talk with you because you are presenting at CanMed23 about research that your team has done into using cannabis-derived flavonoids or canflavins to treat cancer. 
But before we get too deep into that, I always like to start with the basics. Mm -hmm. And that might be especially true here because I know <laughs> that canned flavins are not as well known as other cannabis compounds. So mm -hmm. what are flavonoids or canned flavins? Well, well, we'll start with flavonoids and we'll get to the canned flavins in a second, right? But nice and, nice and sweet, flavonoids are a class of polyphenolic secondary metabolites found in most plants. So they're commonly consumed in the diets of humans and animals, right? We've been consuming them since the beginning of time. Chemically, flavonoids have a general structure of a 15-carbon skeleton, which consists of two phenyl rings and a heterocyclic ring. Um, and the key important differentiation here is that it's a completely different class of molecules than the more commonly well-known cannabinoids or terpenes that people are familiar with from cannabis hemp. Right. And so structurally, they're different. How else are they different from, from cannabinoids and terpenes? Well, it, it, it really the structure and, and, and I guess their activity and how the plant uses them, right? Usually these molecules, they have um, high antioxidant properties. The plant uses them as part of their defense mechanism. They don't work on the endocannabinoid system, at least in the same way as our cannabinoids and our terpenes do. They're a different class of molecules, and that's what makes them unique for exploration when it comes to people exploring the synergistic effect of full plant extracts. In order to understand this synergy, you need to be able to understand all the different components of the plant, and that includes these polyphenols or these flavonoids that are there. Great. And now, how many different, I mean, I don't know if you could put a number on it, but how many different flavonoids are found in cannabis? And are they unique to cannabis? Or are they found elsewhere in other plants as well? Well, just like, much like the cannabinoids, right? The flavonoids, there's a whole bunch of them and they're found all across plant species, um, all, all across the world, right? But what makes cannabis hemp unique is that they have very specific or unique um, flavonoids to them. And this is where we get to our canned flavins. Our canned flavins aren't found anywhere else in the plant life, right? And included with the canned flavins are other molecules that we might get to a little bit later, um, still beans, but benzyls that are unique to cannabis hemp, right? Now, these unique molecules are what we believe adds to the high therapeutic effect of the cannabis hemp plant that humans have experienced from the beginning of time, right? Why they continue to come back to cannabis as a treatment for a variety of different indications, because specifically in the synergistic profile of this plant, right, are these novel molecules that are known to help with human and animal health. Okay. And now, are there certain canflavins that are, you know, more well-known than others that folks may have heard about before? Well, not canflavins, right? Because again, canflavins are the more specific molecule, but flavonoids, probably yes, right? These are molecules like the epigenin, right? Um, Cursertin, resveratrol is a more recently well-known flavonoid because of its um, promise in regards to longevity research, right? Rutin was first isolated from oranges, um, in the mid 19, I think it was 1960s. So that was the first, one of the first flavonoids to be um, identified in the plant matter. So 
There are more well-known ones, but flavonoids as a whole, people aren't really familiar with, right? They just know to eat their fruits and vegetables because they're good for the good for you, right? Right. And now, so you mentioned a few there. Um, are there flavonoids that are currently being used um, as therapeutics or um, for other indications? They're in a, a lot of exploration of, around them, right? So again, resveratrol, the more most commonly known one, um, has shown in different assays uh, of zebrafish and C. elegans to be uh, have a lot of promise when it comes to longevity, neuroprotective properties, right? But researchers around the world, scientists around the world, and as you know, most prevalent with natural health ingredients in general, there's always the problem of translation and always the problem of doing something with enough specificity to be able to get FDA approval as a registered therapeutic. But the work is out there. People are exploring it. Um, um, In fact, in September, I went for the first time ever to the World Polyphenol Conference, and this is an annual conference every year where people come and they talk about all the different science from all around the world, and um, the researchers that are exploring this really, really unique class of molecules and what they can do. Interesting. And now, did I hear you right? Is it difficult to really isolate these compounds to really kind of study them specifically? Yes, yes. And especially when you're looking at cannabis hemp, yes, right? More broadly, when it comes to natural health products and um, natural health ingredients, ingredients found in the plant, right? There's a lot of challenges about batch-to-batch repeatability. How do you know that this ingredient that you get from one plant is the same as the other plant, so on and so forth, right? So this makes um, the exploration of most plant-based molecules challenging in themselves. But when we look specifically at industrial hemp cannabis, right, they produce flavonoids at a very, very minimal um, profile. In fact, our canflavins, so when we talk about canflavins, I'm usually talking about canflavin A and B, right? And these molecules are found in under 0.014% of the plant's biomass. So they're extremely minute, extremely rare, and that makes isolating them, capturing them, um, very challenging. It's part of the reason why since their discovery in the mid-1980s, there hasn't been a lot of commercial or clinical work done on these molecules. They've mainly lived in the world of academia until professors at the University of Guelph developed uh, a few technologies that allowed for the production of them in higher quantities. And It's these technologies that Kinerda is the direct beneficiary of, which allows us to do the work that we're doing today. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to to learn how you got interested in canflavins. What what was it that attracted you to them or what opportunity did you see there? Well, I got introduced to these molecules by chance. I was in the right place, right time, um, and I was the lucky entrepreneur that these professors at the University of Guelph um, chose to be able to partner with to bring this forward, right? Um, Long story, less long, right? I'm not a scientist by background or training, right? Um, I actually went to law school in the United Kingdom from 2015 to 2017 after graduating from the University of Ottawa. I did get my degree in psychology and philosophy there. So 
some psychology of the mind and how drugs affect the mind I have some familiarity with, but I thought I was going to be a lawyer after. But it was really when I graduated from school in 2017 and I returned back to Canada and the legalization of marijuana federally was amongst us, I knew that there was an opportunity going on in Canada to be able to be part of this emerging growing industry Um, and an opportunity because we were going to do it before the bigger market directly south in the U.S. uh, legalized federally. So I said to myself, um, um, hey, if I start now, then I can be a part of this movement of all the new innovations and everything going going forward. How can I get involved? Well, the hemp plant has 50,000 commercial uses. I like to say that's 50,000 before we add modern technology to it. We're really just now getting to understand what this planet can do to accelerate and create a more sustainable, productive world. So I decided instead of finishing my accreditation to be a lawyer, I was going to use the money that I had from going to school, the line of credit to find some farmland and start to grow hemp. (laughs) And that's what I did. I turned myself from a law school graduate to a farmer and I started to grow. Um, No experience, um, just a bright idea, knew that this was coming and I got my ass kicked on the farm. But what it did, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. But what it did do though was it put me in a position of being a king, not the person with just bright ideas, a king, the person who was willing to work hard to see this industry through right here in Ontario. And that ultimately led to a gentleman from OMAS, OMAFRA, our Ministry of Food and Agricultural Resources, to saying, hey, Akeem, there are some professors at the University of Guelph. They need some hemp. They need a farmer, someone like myself, to be able to do some investigation on some of these novel molecules that were there in the plant. And of course, I was like, wait, there's something else there outside of the cannabinoids and terpenes? Send them to my farm. Tell them to take all the things that all the plants that they want, but I want to be a part of this journey. I want to know what's going on. And if there's ever the opportunity to be a commercialization partner, um, I'll prove it to you that I'm the right partner to have. And with that, I was able to show myself um, and I was able to show our dedication, the dedication of the team that we had to this plant. And that led them to introducing us to all the amazing possibilities around these unique flavonoids, the canflavins, and some of the other molecules that we're trying to investigate and explore right in the cannabis hemp plant. Interesting. So is the, is the technology here a way to just concentrate the canflavins or is it um, like breeding techniques to have um, plants that produce more of them? What's going on here? If you, if you can even share. I'll share, I'll share. And this is where things, things get a little bit fun. So all of this started primarily with an extraction technology, right? We have a patented way of isolating, capturing, concentrating these molecules out of the plant's biomass. And this is what we started with. But as we continue to grow from 2020, when we acquired our first um, intellectual property patent, to where we are now, we also have two other ways of getting to the molecules. We also have a growing production patent, a way of enriching these molecules in the plant matter right from the seed. And we also have an enzymatic biosynthesis production platform, a way of creating these molecules in bioreactors purely from scratch. Now, the combination of all these technologies 
give us a really, really uh, interesting uh, commercial advantage because not only can we now make these molecules purely from scratch, but we can also make pure and authentic standards of these molecules so that when we're looking in the plant matter, whether, whether it be a grown plant or an extract, we can correctly identify and label and say that there's this much of flavonoid A, B, and C, D, right, that are there. And this is what the FDA and any regulatory agency wants to see when you're bringing a natural health product or a drug product to market. They want to know that you can have batch-to-batch consistency, that they want to know that you have clinically relevant assays of what each ratio of these molecules can provide. And it gives us the ability to not only bring these molecules to market in complex mixtures, but also in their pure individual forms. And when it comes to developing drugs and therapeutics, this is where things get exciting because now we can really play around and say, hey, what can these molecules do on their own? What can they do in combination? And what can they do against a variety of different um, disease states and therapeutic indications? Excellent. So that's a good segue. So let's start talking about some of that work. Um, so I know that the abstract that you're going to present be presenting at CAMED 23, it's looking at canflavins A and B. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to the fact that they're, you know, alphabetically first, what was it about canflavins A and B that were um, of particular interest? Well, well, canflavin A and B are the m- most well-known novel flavonoids in the plant. They were first identified in the mid-1980s, and when they were first identified by Marilyn Barrett and her colleagues, they were found to have 30 times the anti-inflammatory power than ASA, the active ingredient in aspirin. But also, later in 2014, we learned that they had a different mechanism of action than most NSAIDs. So they don't lead to many of the GI issues, the bleeding of the gut, and the ulcers that you get from our NSAIDs. Um, so this led to the canflavins being at the top of the list of the novel molecules that are in the plant. And that's where the researchers at Guelph wanted to start their research. Um, but, um, I guess segueing to how we get from inflammation to cancer, we know that not only do does many chronic diseases start with systematic chronic inflammation, but we also know that, um, some of these solutions, some of these bioflavonoids, right, they have a host of therapeutic potential that are unexplored right now um, and unexplored with modern assays. So one professor, uh, inventor of our patents, Dr. Tarek Akhtar, he gave a colleague in his lab, Dr. Jasmine Lelong, the canflavins to play with and look at to say, hey, could these be beneficial for neuroprotection, for neuroinflammation. And Jasmine did an initial screen to check and see, might they be? And what Jasmine found was actually the opposite expectation of what he was initially looking for, right? That these molecules were not necessarily useful for neuroinflammation, which we can talk about a little bit later, but they showed promise of blocking an important receptor, the TREK-B receptor, tropomyosin kinase B, and this led him to believe that um, this is this led him to believe that this could be extremely important in regards to a variety of different um, cancers, including glioblastoma multiform, which is what our published paper is up, is about. Great. So, so you mentioned the anti-inflammatory 
properties of these of these compounds. And I know that, you know, CBD is also credited to be very, you know, anti-inflammatory the way that it, it acts on the um, endocannabinoid system. So I was wondering how do those two, how those two compounds kind of interact and is, and, and I guess my question is, is CBD the only thing that's doing, well, obviously it's not. So maybe that's not the right, right way to, to phrase it, but is, was some of the anti-inflammatory uh, effects of CBD maybe um, inappropriately credited to CBD in that the canflavins were actually doing some of the work too? Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> this is some of the excitement of the work that we have um, in front of us up here at Canerda. The interesting thing is that we know, and we know this, the literature is out there, right? That when you look at whole plant extract versus pure isolated CBD, there's a difference of efficacy in the whole plant versus the pure isolate, right? When it comes to anti-inflammation, anti-pain, and a host of other things, right? So the real thing that we want to investigate is when you start to break down these components of the pure plant extract, what is each constituent um, responsible for? And not only what are they responsible for, but how do they act in synergy with each other? So instead of having a pure CBD anti-inflammatory or pure canflavin anti-inflammatory, can you have a combined CBD canflavin anti-inflammatory? Things that work on different mechanisms that are responsible or different targets that are responsible for inflammation in the body. And then when they work synergistically, they're for the optimal benefit of human or animal health, right? This is where we know that some of our work is going to start to open the doors to researchers around the world when they start to look and explore and say, what can these molecules do? Um, or why is the cannabis hemp plant doing what it's doing? And give them hopefully the data set that they need when it comes to dealing with regular regulators and getting um, therapeutics passed and approved to go to market. Yeah, no. And that's a great point. And I, I it, it escapes me who, who mentioned it on the podcast before, but they were looking at, you know, different cannabinoid concentrations for certain indications and trying to isolate the, the cannabinoids to try to get the similar effect. Um, and even maybe even using a combination of cannabinoids, but they weren't able to see the same thing that they could in the whole plant extract. And obviously their hypothesis was there must be some other smaller compound or compounds present there that they didn't account for that's doing some of the work. And hey, maybe that's the canflavins or maybe that's something else that we haven't even found yet. This is where things get exciting, right? I can share, right, that... Um, there are about 15 to 20 other molecules in the plant that we're pretty excited about that the modern standards of identification aren't available to the masses yet. Mm. These molecules are there again. Our canflavin A and B are there in under 0.014% of the plant. So we have to concentrate so much to be able to get these out in commercial or clinical quantities. Luckily, we found out we found a pretty unique and easy way to do to, to do so to make it commercially feasible. But as we start to concentrate, now we start to get to look at what are some of these 
other peaks um, that our HPLC is identifying? And can we create standards to identify these other molecules that are there? And when we start to isolate these other molecules, what can they do on their own? What do they do in synergy? And how can each of these class of compounds be best used to optimize human and animal health? This is where we think that things are extremely promising when it comes to um, indications like inflammatory related diseases, cancers, um, respiratory diseases, neuroprotective um, um, diseases, neurodegenerative diseases, sorry, I should say, and the neuroprotective qualities of these molecules and what the next 10, 15, 20 years looks like, especially after the rest of the world starts to legalize. One of the things that, um, again, I'm a very fortunate and lucky beneficiary of is the fact that Canada decided to go first as the first G7 country to legalize federally. That allowed for our universities to be able to come to my farm, take the, take the plant, and say, what's there? We know that in the U.S. right now, state to state, we have legalization, and we're starting to get to the aspects of federal legalization, at least in regards to research right now under Biden. But as this continues to open up, it just allows so many bright minds and people with innovative ideas to come touch the plant, add their unique twists and spins to it. And that's really going to push healthcare and plant-based medicine forward. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about being a part of. Yeah, we're excited about that, too. It's one of the things that we try to create an environment for at CanMed is to bring uh, all, all people that are working on the plant together to share their information, make connections, um, and kind of move this forward. So, uh, so that's great. Uh, but I did want to ask you, so you brought up again the small concentrations that are found in the cannabis plant. So is it the, is the case that a little goes a long way when it comes to canflavins that you don't need a, a super high dose to get that therapeutic effect? Depending on what indication you're going for, probably most most probably right. And this is what some of our initial data is 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 showing us. Right now, we have a suite of um, a variety of different in silico and in vitro and early in vivo data, animal data. That's showing us um, the different um, areas of indications that we should go after. And we know the concentrations and the ranges of how our molecules work. The real key now is how does this translate to humans, right, who are um, we're bigger, right? We need um, biodistribution of these molecules in the bloodstream at the site of actions to be able to get therapeutic effect. Can we do that with these rare molecules? We know that we can capture these molecules at commercial and clinical in clinical amounts. We have a variety of different natural health ingredients, but also pharmaceutical ingredients that will launch in the years to come to start to get these ingredients and these molecules onto the market. But now it's about now in our current investigation, it's how do we get um, well and in the paper that we're going to discuss and the inter interference on track B. Um, and how that affects a variety of different cancers. How do we get a mixture of canflavin A, B, C um, to the site of the tumor to be able to, whether it be kill the tumor, whether it be to slow the spread, whether it 
be to work as an adjunct therapy so that you need less radiation and less chemotherapy to be able to help the patients? How does all of this work? And this is what we're really focusing on right now in our research up at Canerda. Excellent. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you brought that up because we're getting towards the end here. We didn't even get into the abstract that you're going to be presenting. We kind of danced around it, but let, let's um, let's talk more in more detail. So, give me a summary, or you know, sort of the main takeaway that you're that you're hoping to to get across with your presentation. So, the main takeaway that we that we're um, hoping to get get across is that we know that our flavonoids are canflavin A and B. And they inhibit the activation of the tropomycin kinase B, tropomycin receptor kinase B in primary cortical neurons. And this is very promising when it comes to glioblastoma, but other, other areas of cancer research as well, like breast cancer and pancreatic cancer as well. We know we have do doses that can disrupt the downstream signaling of the TREK B receptors. They reduce the accumulation of activ activity-regulated cycloskeleton-associated proteins, right? And they've been working in the neuroblastoma cell line. So now, um, well, at, the, at CanMed, my hope is to dive a little bit deeper into how we got here, um, to share some of the assays that we did to be able to prove this and show some of our more, more recent work since we published at the top of the year from Dr. Jasmine Lalong's lab at the University of Guelph. Excellent. And now you mentioned that you're, you know, that your team, you're interested in other compounds, you're in, interested in other indications, sort of. Um, what other things are, are you looking into? Um, I, I, as simple as put, and I'll be very broad here today because I do have a couple of other, well, actually, I can actually say, I think at CADMED, you're going to be able to hear from not only ourselves but Mr. Hunter Land in regards to what our molecules can do in areas of neurodegeneration, longevity, and health span as well, right? This is an area that's pretty interesting. And um, in presentation with Hunter, um, we're hoping that we can show some pretty positive signs of what these molecules can do, not only on their own, but in combination with cannabinoids as well. Um, outside of the neurodegeneration and our anti-cancer promise, I mentioned we have some respiratory diseases that we're looking at and the clear anti-inflammatory angle as well. So over the, in the years to come, we're hoping that we can continue to build up momentum and show promise for our molecules so that we can continue to explore, again, just how effective and useful these molecules can do across a wide variety of chronic diseases for both human and animals as well. All right. You got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so before yeah. I let you get back to that work um, and before I let you go, uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share any other um, resources that the listeners might be interested to learn more about, um, whether it's your company or Canflavins or any of the research that you're doing. And then of course, um, any websites or social media that you'd like to share with the folks so they can keep up with you, please plug away. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So our website is canerta.com, C-A-N-U-R-T-A.com. You can find a lot of information about what we're doing and how we're doing it there. Also, the abstract that we'll be presenting at CanMed, um, the main paper was published, The Interference of Neuronal Track B Signaling 
by the can cannabis derived flavonoids canflavin a and b the lead author the on that paper is jennifer jennifer holborn out of dr jasmine lalong's lab at the university of guelph this was published in february in the journal of Phytomedicine medicine plus if anyone wants to read it there as well and uh, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. My name is Akeem Gardner. I'm always excited to talk about cannabis, about health and wellness, and about what this plant can do for the future. So if anyone's interested in diving a little bit deeper, I look forward to seeing you at CanMed 2023 in May. Um, just come up to me, say hi, or reach out to me on LinkedIn or on social media, and we can go from there. All right, that sounds great. And I'll pop those links into the show description so people can have an easy way to find them and find you. So awesome. Akeem, th thanks again for taking the time. I think it was a great conversation and uh, I look forward to meeting you in person down in Florida. I look forward to it as well, Ben. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Akeem Gardner. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode sponsor, Canerda. Our next episode drops March 15th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do head over to canmedevents.com and view our schedule. There you can learn all about the great oral presentations and intensive workshops that we have planned for CanMed 23. And if you haven't yet received an invitation for CanMed 23, you can request one at canmedevents.com. We are really excited about this year's event and truly believe it has the power to transform our industry through collaboration and innovation. I sincerely hope to see you there. But if you can't make it in person to Marco Island, we do hope that you will continue to stay connected with us through the podcast and through our social media channels. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for CanMed Events. All right, and that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.